house that I unraced? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, and you are not filled with drink. You are clothed, but none are warm. And he that earns wages, earns wages to be put in bags with holes. Thus said the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it and be glorified, saith the Lord. You looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow it away. And why, saith the Lord? Because of my house that is in a waste, and you run every man unto his own house. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from you, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for the drought upon the land and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which is ground beneath your, for, which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all labor of the hands. Consider your ways. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the reading of your word. And I pray, Heavenly Father, Lord, as I stand up here, that it's not my word, but it's your word. Lord, I recognize, Lord, all too often that I'm a man of unclean lips. And I am thankful for each and every opportunity that I've given to, to preach your word. But I know all too often my pride and my arrogance, Lord, I don't, I don't want to be up here to glorify myself. I pray, Father, Lord, that your will be done, and that the words that are spoken not be mine, but yours, and that whatever needs to be said, and in whatever way it needs to be said, that it not just finding a resting place in our hearts, Lord, that it churns within us, and help us to be, to be the, the men and women of God that you have called us to be. I pray, Father, Lord, for this church. I pray, Father, Lord, for this community. I pray, Father, Lord, for our lost uh, loved ones and lost and, and, and those, Lord, that are just we witness to. I pray, Father, Lord, you let our lives be a living testimony to them of your love and your grace. And again, I pray as I stand up here prepared, Lord, as best I can, Lord, to present what you've laid on my heart. Lord, it would be you and not me. All these things we ask in your name. Amen. Consider your ways. An instructor in a time management seminar told the participants that he was going to give them a quiz to kind of test how much they had learned so far. And he reached under his table when he took out a jar and he set it on the table and he said, now look at this. And then he pulled out next to the jar and laid a number of large rocks, fist-sized rocks. And he asked the group, how many of these rocks do you think we could fit inside this jar? And after a few moments, the participants started to make their guesses. And uh, some said, well, four, five, six. Oh, no, I think you're going to fit three. Eventually, the instructor said, let's just find out. So one by one, he began to put these large rocks into the jar until the rocks inside were level with the top of the jar. And then the instructor asked the question, is the jar full? He presented it to all the attendees. 
And the participants all looked at the jar filled with rocks, and they said, yeah, it, it, it looks full to us. But then he reached under the table, and he pulled out a bag of gravel. And he dumped some of the gravel and put it into the jar, and he shook the jar a little bit. And the gravel filled all those little spaces in between the big rocks. And then he grinned, and he asked again, well, now is the jar full? And the participants weren't not about to be filled a second time. Yeah, you fooled me once, but now he's up to something. So they said, well, the jar probably really isn't full. And the instructor nodded and said, good, you're starting to catch on. Next, he took out a bag of sand and he poured it into the jar. And slowly the sand filled the gaps between the rocks and the gravel. And after the sand had settled, the instructor once again asked, now is the jar full? And the audience was quick to answer with a loud, no, it's not full. He said, good. He was pleased that the students were beginning to understand the principle that he was applying. And so he asked, what is the point of this demonstration? What am I trying to teach you with this? Somebody yelled out, well, there's always gaps. There's always space. And if you work at it long enough and hard enough, you can always fit more into your life. The instructor said, no, that's not the point at all. The point is this. If I hadn't started by putting the big rocks in first, I would never have gotten them in at all. It's a matter of putting first things first. Our lives today are full of grit and sand and dirt. And unfortunately, we've left out the big things, the most important things. And now that our lives are so full and we're so busy doing this and doing that, that we've left out the most important things. And I fear for the church today, we've left out the most important thing, God. The challenge we face is not a matter of time management, although I will admit I struggle in that matter. Our struggle is one of priorities and putting first things first. In the book of Haggai, which is the second shortest book in the Old Testament, communicates this message perfectly. He says, put first things first. And although we, we probably don't want to admit it, it's written to a people who are just like us. You see, they would say, yes, we need to put God first in our lives. Yes, God needs to be priority number one and in everything else. But you see, they had drifted away from this in practice and in their lives. See, they lived a life with misplaced priorities. And Haggai was sent to this group of people to get their priorities in line with what they knew they should be. And I could say, yes, I ask y'all, should God be number one in your life? Should God be number one in our lives? And everyone would nod and say, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But how many of us truly put that into practice? How many of our Sunday school classes go with barely anyone in them? 
How many empty seats do we have on a Wednesday Bible study? How many times do we have to beg and plead for someone to sign up to do some sort of outreach? Are you really putting God first in your life? Haggai spoke this message to Jews who had returned from Jerusalem after being in captivity in Babylon for around 70 years. We've been talking about that in the book of Daniel on Wednesday night. For 70 years, they had been held captive. Not once, but twice, but three times, Nebuchadnezzar had gone into Jerusalem, besieged it, and when he finally left, there was nothing left. Stones were torn down. Everything was burnt. It was just a pile of rubble. And he took anyone and everyone of value back to Babylon. And that's where we find Daniel. But after 70 years of captivity, Persia had now taken over the Babylonian Empire. They were being set free. Set free. Like us in many ways in our lives, we've been set free from sin. We've been set free from bondage. Maybe you've been saved and you've been rededicated and you've put your life right with God. You've, 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 you've experienced a sense of revival in your life. And so you've been set free from your past. And so we're getting full of enthusiasm and excitement. Man, it's nothing like seeing a brand new Christian. How, how excited they are. Man, they want to do everything. They want to sign up for everything. They want to do everything. These Jews were being set free and told to go back home to Jerusalem with instructions to rebuild the temple. And they were going back with every intention to build the temple of God. However, when the Jews got back, they were faced with a very daunting task. As I said, everything had been destroyed. Where do you start? You've lived a life of sin. You've been backsliding for so long, and, and, and now you, you go through the process, I need to rebuild my life and get things back in order, but all the consequences of all your bad decisions are weighing down on you, and you, it's a daunting task. And there are consequences to our bad decisions. There are consequences to our, our sinful mistakes, our prideful actions. And although God will sometimes remove those consequences more often than not, he just simply gives us the grace and the mercy and the strength to work through them. But it's a daunting task. So the returnees there, when they began, they started to make preliminary attempts to clear out and rebuild the foundations of the second temple. And don't you know that whenever you try to do something good, God, the first thing that's going to happen is there's going to be resistance. In fact, I would say that if you start anything and claim it's for God and there isn't resistance, it's probably not. Satan is going to put something in your way to try to convince you, no, not now, it's not time. And that is exactly what happened to the Jews there as they began to make the temple. The Samaritans threatened the workers. And they even sent men back to Persia to lobby for the Jews to stop their work. This is very similar to what happens in the book of Nehemiah when we go to rebuild the walls later on. So they stopped building the walls. And then years passed. Years passed. 
14 to 16 years had passed. But in that time, slowly, Jerusalem became alive again. Homes were built. Stores were opened. Commerce established. Trade was taking place. Fields were being planted. Crops were being harvested. And life began to resemble some sort of normalcy. However, Israel got used to life without the temple. Therefore, they got used to life without God. It is... Listen, the overgrown foundation that was left there where they had tried to start to rebuild the the temple with the weeds and all the filth and all the stuff that was built there and it's kind of set aside, that stood as a, a silent, mute testimony and a reminder of their lack of priorities and their lack of faith and their failure to take care of God's house. We can drive up and down the streets today in any direction and pass any number of churches that have been boarded up for sale signs. Signs on the, on the outside the building, no longer having services. Those empty buildings stand a testimony to the church's lack of faith and a lack of priorities. People went home, got used to staying at home, and never came back. For 14 to 16 years, Haggai, they lived like this. And then finally Haggai was sent to the scene, and he had one prevailing message. It's time to finish building the temple. It's time to put God first in your life. The message was one of priorities, putting first things first. And the temple was the center of their relationship with God. It represented the heart and soul of their faith. Now we know that God's everywhere. Okay? God's everywhere. But that temple represented so much to them. It was a place where the sacrifices were made. It was a place where folks would have communion and fellowship with God. So by leaving that That temple in ruins, they were ignoring the temple. Therefore, they were ignoring their relationship with God. They were ignoring their fellowship with God. They were ignoring their worship with God. And it became normal. And it was a testimony of misplaced priorities. And God said... Examine your ways. I'm asking you. Consider your ways this morning. Consider where your priorities are at. And if you realize, if God's convicting you this morning, that you know what, there's areas in your life you haven't put God first. I'm going to do just like Haggai did, and I'm going to tell you it's time to stop making excuses. Haggai, his first step was to confront those excuses. 
He said there in verse 2, the Lord of hosts says, these people. Let's stop right there for a minute. Think about this for a moment. All through the Bible, God has referred to Israel as his people. But here, here, you can see evidence of how strained and distanced that relationship had become. Because now God is saying, these people say, it's not time to build God's house. It's not time. How many times have we started out to do something for God and all of a sudden resistance comes along and then what we say, well, God must not have been in it. Well, God's, it's not God's timing yet. I've got ahead of God on this. I need to wait. You see that resistance as God trying to tell you it's you, 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 you jumped the gun. It's not time to do this yet. I'm here to tell you it's time. While we still have time. If God is calling you to do something, if you're waiting for a sign, if you've been waiting for God to tell you it's time to get serious with your relationship with God, I'm here to tell you here's your sign. They intended... To build God's house, but just hadn't gotten around to it. I intend to come to church regularly. I just hadn't gotten around to it. I intend to start coming to Sunday school class. You just haven't gotten around to it. I intend to start coming on Wednesday nights. I just hadn't gotten around to it. I intend to read my Bible daily. I just hadn't gotten around to it. I intend to do a Bible study with my home and my family. I just hadn't gotten around to it. I intend to start serving God. I just hadn't gotten around to it. What are you being called to do that you just haven't been gotten around to doing yet? If you would have asked them, they would all have said, I'm all for building the temple. It's a great cause. But God wants us to take care of our families first. I got other things I need to do first. Times are hard. Jobs are scarce. We need, we need to pray about it first. I am so sick personally of, may, of, of hearing myself make that same excuse. Well, yeah, let, let's pray about it some more. And never bend a knee. I'll, I'll pray about it and we'll see what we can do. Yeah, sure. I know Brad's got to be sick of hearing that. We're, we're praying about it. We'll see what we can do. We'll, we'll, we'll try to come to church. We'll try to do this. We'll try to do that. We'll be praying about it, brother. Yeah. Stop making excuses. Billy Sunday defined an excuse as the skin of reason stuffed with a lie. Benjamin Franklin said, I never knew a man who was good at making excuses who was good at anything else. See, it's always easy to make an excuse when you don't want to obey God. We can always find a rational justification for not doing what God wants us to do. So the first step in putting first thing first is admitting our responsibility and stop making those selfish excuses. And that brings us to the next thing. Stop being selfish. Excuse making in a selfish mindset 
Man, they go hand in hand. Haggai challenged the people and challenged their selfish behavior. He said there in verses 3 and 4, Now the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for yourselves to live in paneled houses, nice houses, while the God's house lays in ruins? Now understand this. I am not in any way criticizing or saying there's something wrong with having a nice home. This is not an attack on nice homes. I've been blessed with a nice home. Y'all been blessed with a nice home. What is wrong for you is for you to live in a nice home where God's house lies in ruins. What's wrong is for you to spend all of your money on selfish needs while ignoring the things of God. What's wrong is for you to spend all of your time and your best hours and your best talents on selfish pursuits while the things of God are left undone. This type of behavior is an indictment of misplaced priorities. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with your first fruits. We've become a people that don't give God. We don't give God the first fruits. We give Him whatever's left over. And think we're doing God a favor in the process. See, it's easy to drift away from God's agenda to our own. It's easy to pursue selfish desires and ignoring God's. In fact, that's our default mode. That's our default. If we give no thought to how we are living, we will naturally just live for ourselves. We... We have bent hearts, hearts that are bent always to satisfying this, my flesh first. And this is what happened to the Jews that Haggai addressed. And as a result of this, they were missing out on God's blessings. They were missing out. They, they were, their lives were full of sand and grit, but those big things in their lives that was most important, they they had lost. They had left out. I know a man that worked 10, 12 hours a day, six, seven days a week, getting as much overtime as he can get so he could, quote, provide more for his family. And he thought he was doing good. And he worked and he slaved for, a, for an employer that didn't care about him, didn't appreciate his work or his extra hours. All for a family that he never got to see because he was too busy providing for them. And after years had passed and his family and his kids had grown up and moved on and had families on, on his own, I often think about how much of that overtime he would trade in if he could just have one more hour to bounce his baby boy on his knee or to go fishing or just to walk with his wife hand in hand up and down the driveway, or just to have a simple conversation with him. How many times did he come in so exhausted to all he could do is just go to bed, to get up and hit, do it again? He left the most important things out. And he missed the most important blessings that we could have. All because he was trying to fill his life up with more. And it's not a matter of quantity. It's quality that we should pursue. 
as a consequence of their excuse-making and selfish living, the people in Haggai's day, and I would say the people in today's America, we experience hardship. You see, they sowed plenty of seed, but you see, there was a drought and the crops didn't yield as much as they had hoped. They had active lifestyles. Man, we are as busy as ever. We fit so much. We spent, we spent, we, we found out ways to, to cram 30 hours of stuff in a 24-hour day, and it's still not enough. We have active lifestyles, but we still experience no true satisfaction. They are laboring, but showing no profit. And no matter how hard they try, they seem to just be spinning their wheels. And no matter how much money they make, they just get deeper and deeper in debt. Amen? Amen. Does anyone else feel that way? That you're just spinning your wheels? There's just another bill, just another bill? You're not seeing any, anything of substance coming from all this action? Man, you're working hard and you're doing a lot and you're working hard, but where's the... Where's the true blessings? And we're not experiencing that because God isn't first. God isn't blessing the work that you're doing. It's because of their selfishness. The people missed out on God's blessing. Haggai points out a sobering reminder, and I'm going to remind you of this. It's what, what's happening in here affects every area of your life. Every area of your life. And because the people had pushed God out of the center of their lives, they suffered in every area. What they did not see was that God was causing this hardship. There was no reason for there to be hardship otherwise. They were sowing crops. They were working hard. Yet they weren't getting full. Listen up, America. We are still one of, if not the richest nation in the world. Have you been to the grocery store lately and seen the empty shelves? And we want to blame Biden, or we want to blame Trump, or we want to blame the Democrats, or we want to blame some other country. You want to know why we're having problems in America? It's because America has kicked God out. And the hardships that we're experiencing right now are God-sent hardships to try to remind us we need to put Him first in our lives. Haggai might as well have been screaming to them, Hey, it's God who controls the rain. It's God who controls the harvest. He's withholding the blessings. We have lived so long as a nation on last, last generation's blessings. And now we're seeing the results of our sinful lifestyles, our lack of dedication to God. He says, put God's house first. Put God first, and then he will bless you. And Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Blessings come from obedience. If we want to experience God's blessings, put him first. So, 
if God, not Daniel, if God has stepped on your toes a little bit this morning, it may be time to take a time to evaluate yourself. You want to get God first. You want to make sure God's first in your life and everything you do. Take time out to evaluate where you are at. Twice Haggai instructed the people, consider your ways. And the word there, consider, simply means to give careful thought to. It was time for the people of God to do some serious self-examination. Haggai wanted the people to start, stop in their busy lifestyles long enough to evaluate where they were and how they were in light of God's Word. Man. That's painful, isn't it? Just silence? Just stillness? We try to... Man, the first thing you do when you come in at night, come in in the evening, is turn that television on. Turn the radio on. We can't deal with the silence. We've got to fill our lives with so much stuff. It's past time for us just to shut all that noise out and listen to what God's trying to tell you. It's time to evaluate. And evaluation is a good thing, guys. That's why teachers give tests. That's why employers will do uh, job reviews. Not much for his philosophy, but Socrates says the unexamined life is not worth living. Every day we need to evaluate how we spend our time and our money and how we use our talents. And we've all been given something by God. All of us have been given. We talked about that on Wednesday night. All of us have been given some of us different things, different talents, different skills. How are you using them? Are you using them? We should examine who we choose as our friends. What we set as our goals. And where are we going? In other words, we need to examine every aspect of our lives. And if God is not first, guess who removed him from his rightful spot? Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, Examine yourselves, whether you be in faith. Prove your own selves. Know that you are not your own. I copied this next thing out of a, a Bible study I found. I, I, I don't like to, to read word for word, but man, this, this, this teacher said it perfectly. He says, as Christians, self-assessment becomes as increasingly important, uh, an increasingly part of our faith as we grow and mature spiritually. Just as periodic checkups at, with doctors and dentists help to take care of our physical health, regular reflection is how we perform and how we're performing in accordance with our faith and what steps we need to take to remedy any areas of weakness. That helps us to become stronger spiritually. It also enables us to tackle the problems before they become out of control. God encourages us to look inward, guys. In order to identify those areas in our lives where we're struggling or where we're weak and where we need to, to address 
Lamentations 340 says, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. In the 119th Psalm, verses 59 and 60, it says, I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your, sta- to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. When we stop making excuses, when we stop being selfish, when we start to begin to seek God's blessings and take time to self-evaluate, we can see God's work more powerfully in our lives than he has ever done before. And this is what happens when we put first things first. Now, how will you know? How will you know? Real quickly in closing. How will you know, my first closing, uh, how will you know when you are putting God first in your life? Well, look at what Haggai says in 1.8. He says, go up to the hills, bring down lumber, and build a house. Then... I will be pleased with it and be glorified, saith the Lord. Go, bring, build. What are you doing for God? You want to know that God's first in your life? You're up and you're doing something. It breaks my heart to see brothers and sisters in Christ who have given up and they're content with waiting out until the rapture. We're done. I'm done. I've worked as much as I'm worked. I can't do no more. Listen, folks, if God, listen, Internet, if God hasn't taken you out of this world, you're still here, that means God's not done with you. God can still use you. Then be about God's business. Go and bring and build. I'm going to chase a quick squirrel for a second. Often in the Bible when we see something like go up to the hills, we're reminded of opportunities when we go up to the presence of God. Quick example, Moses went up to the top of the mountain to fellowship to God, to hear from God, to receive from God, the word from God, the law from God. So when it says here, go up to the mountains, it should be reminding us that we need to get close to God. To bring something means you had to receive something where there. Go to God and get something from Him. And then don't just sit on it. Build with it. Do something with it. You want to know God's first in your life? Put first things first. And start doing the right things. Spending time with God daily. Serving people. Honoring Him with their time. Talents and financial resources. Every aspect of your life. You put God first. And when you do that. He says. Then I will be pleased. And then I will be glorified. You want to know another way. Of knowing if you are actually putting God first in your life. Does your life glorify God or glorify self? Why should a temple be built? Because it glorifies God. When God is not first and we are indifferent to His glory, 
and God isn't first, they're itself. In fact, everything we think about and say and do honors God and brings credit to Him when He's first in our life. Everything we do and say honors God. And whatever your occupation is, whatever your job is, whatever your health is, whatever your age is, wherever you are on that spiritual growth meter, your chief occupation should be to glorify God. Another way and the final way of knowing that you're putting God first is that God blesses you. And when the people of God obey God, he said there in verses 113, he says, I am with you. And when God is first, he blesses us. And the sure sign of his blessing was to Haggai and to Haggai's people that he was speaking to. The sure sign that he had been put first in their life was that he manifested himself with their, his presence. If God seems distant in your life, it's not because he left you, you've left him. It's because your priorities have gotten mixed up. And when you put God first, you experience a new awareness of his presence. And my friends, that's the true blessing. In my second closing, this is Pastor Appreciation Sunday. And although this may not be in a typical pastor appreciating message, let me tell you something I can, I, I can almost promise you. You know what this pastor would appreciate more than anything? Is a church full of people being with God first in their lives. You know what this pastor would appreciate more than anything? Is Christians acting Christian. And, 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 and you doing what God has called you to do. You want to show him some extra appreciation? You want to show him? Show him that you've learned what he's been teaching and preaching for 22 years. And put it to work in your life. 